You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is State Treasurer Kelly Mitchell, also a Republican candidate for the 5th District here in Indiana. We appreciate your time and oh. excited for today's conversation. I'm glad to be here. Well, you know, we we do politics a little bit on the Leaders and Legends podcast, but but we try to shy away from it because it can be a tad toxic. But you're not that way and your personality's not that way. And you got elected by being someone who's willing to have reasonable and fun interactions with everyone. And so that's one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on. And we had planned to do all of the statewide elected officials at a certain point. So we've had the governor and lieutenant governor. So mm-hmm. uh, you're next up, and we appreciate your time. Oh, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Kelly Mitchell is uh, the treasurer of state, although she does not sign money. Is no, that correct? I don't. And what she does for us is something not a lot of people know about, but it's critically important when it comes to the state's finances and how and why we're able to do so many of the wonderful things that that current Governor Holcomb is doing and and previous governors. Talk a little bit about your job for Hoosiers. Sure. Well, as state treasurer, I am the chief investment officer for the state of Indiana. So the state auditor is the chief financial officer, but I am the investment officer, so it's my job to oversee the investment of roughly $9 billion on a daily basis for Indiana. And how does the prudent investment of those dollars help Hoosiers and their finances? Well, you're correct in assuming it's prudent. It absolutely is. (laughs) Uh, And the the more um, yield that we can return to the state in a safe and prudent way, uh, means uh, less that we have to ask uh, local governments for, or ask people for. So um, we do. We brought back in the last fiscal year just under a hundred million dollars on our general fund, and just about one hundred and seventy-two million dollars in yield over all the funds that that we oversee. So that's money that doesn't have to be necessarily collected in fees or taxes. That's just money that we earn. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about another program, which I think you um, administer, at least based on the checks I write, and that's the 529 plan that, that those of us who are parents uh, pay into to support our children's education and the importance of that overall. No, absolutely. Well, I'm first-generation college, and I paid student loans till I was 37, so I'm a huge advocate for the 529 program because uh, it is so much better to save for college than borrow for college. So we have uh, really grown that program since um, I took office, and it's, um, I think we're almost almost to $5 billion in assets under management, who's your saving for college, which is something I'm really Really? proud of, yes. Because that program's not very old, because I was working, I believe, for Connie Noss, the state auditor at the time. I worked for her for 2000, 2002, and that really started getting rolling. We're we're actually um, a little over 20 years old. 
But the state tax credit, that 20% state tax credit that you get, didn't start until 2008. And so since that has kicked in, that has really grown the program uh, immensely. So if I was trying to decide whether to put money away for my kids' education, what should be the determining factor? If I was a young parent with, let's say, two kids in grade school and I talked to you, how would you tell me about the wisdom of doing this, investing this way in my kids' education? So the 529 program offers a lot of choices, by the way, just so you can go through an advisor or you can do um, just the general plan. So we have the advisor and the direct plan. So if you're a young parent and you just wanted to start saving for your child's future, you could go on and in about 10 minutes open a 529 account and uh, choose one of the investment options that we have available and just start saving. Um, you can do automatic payments, which is always the best. Uh, you know, if it automatically comes off your paycheck and goes into the 529, you don't miss it, you don't see it. And it's a real um, factor in the success of saving. Am I correct in remembering that the some law was changed and you can use this money now for high school? You can actually use it for K through 12 education. K-12, yes. thank mm -hmm. you. Yes. So if you have your kids in private school or you pay a tuition, you can use that 529 money now and not necessarily have to wait until they are. Exactly. Yes. God love Ron Colley because they get <laughs> a ton of my money and Purdue gets another ton of my money. Beyond your duties as state treasurer, mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about where you're from, how you got involved in politics and, and who influenced you to go the route that you're currently going in terms of being a statewide elected official? Well, I'll, I'll go all the way back to birth. Sorry, how, how long do we have? No, I'm kidding. Uh, time. <laughs> but so I was born on a naval base in Newport, Rhode Island, and my dad was in the Navy. My uncles were in the Navy or in the Army. Um, but I wonder Holcomb likes you. <laughs> most of my childhood was um, in Woodstock, Illinois, where they filmed Groundhog Day, by the way. If you've seen the movie, you've seen where I grew up. Um, and just a couple of years after we got to Woodstock, uh, my um, father left. And so my mom raised the three of us kids on her own. And she, uh, we lived about eight miles out in the country. And she didn't have a car because she didn't know how to drive. So she paid someone to pick her up and take her to a factory every day. And uh, she pinned lampshades. And then she would come back home and her world really was us. Her dream had been to be a teacher. And so she had three of us right there, ready-made students. And we had no TV, uh, but we had a ton of books because her parents owned a bookstore in Detroit. And so we read and we studied uh, the world. She pinned a world map to the wall. And every night before dinner, we had to cover our eyes and touch a spot on the map and then look under our finger and run to the encyclopedia because that's what we had back then. <laughs> And uh, learn something about that spot in the world, bring it back to the dinner table and, and teach each other. And she also, even though we only had her very small salary, she managed to support uh, needy kids around the world through UNICEF. And we'd get letters from them and study about their culture and in that part of the world. And she just, we just always learned we had to give back. When I was 13, she decided I needed to go volunteer. So she signed me up at a nursing home and 
I volunteered at a nursing home, and at 14, they hired me to be their activities assistant. And so worked my way through high school, and two of the people I worked for were my Sunday school teachers, and they were Valparaiso University graduates. So when time came for college, they asked what I was thinking about, and we really hadn't talked about it uh, much. But they said, we think you'd be a great fit at Valparaiso, and they drove me over here, and uh, that's how I got to Indiana. So that's how you yeah, came yes. here. Uh-huh. So going back a little bit on some of the things you said, when did you get your first TV? Um, my roommate in college had a TV, and I discovered soap operas. It was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, is there a particular one? I think it was General Hospital that everyone kind of big in the did early their 80s. schedule around. Yeah, yeah. So, Luke yeah. Luke and Laura. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you go to your other to friend's house and they had a television? I mean, or was it was it something you just never got used to, so you never got hooked to it? I really never, um, never did. Like I said, we lived out in the country, and our landlords who lived on the same property um, would maybe invite us over to watch The Grinch at Christmas, so I have good memories of that. That was a good one. But really, we just didn't. I just didn't watch TV. Do you have one up. now? Yeah, it gets turned down for football games. It's kind of about <laughs> it. You said your mother pinned lampshades? Yes. Like physically? Yeah. Pinned the material onto the frame eight hours a day. So if if I'm putting together a trivia team and geography is a category, am I calling you? It wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Do you remember a favorite country that you studied or a favorite continent or a favorite sort of uh, geographical fact? No, not really. It's been a while. I just remember loving learning about the world. Have you been able to travel much and see some of the places you pointed to as a kid? Yeah, um, we really didn't obviously travel much as as kids, but I have been to about 24 countries uh, as an adult. So she and then my kids have been to places I haven't been. So it's really neat to see it grow generationally. What did you major in at Valparaiso? Um, at the end? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me rephrase. How many majors did you have at Valparaiso? I had two at Valpo and one at Arizona State because I left Valpo halfway through, went out to Arizona State, and then came back and graduated from Valpo. So I started in, um, I think it was economics, um, went out to Arizona State and actually auditioned and got into the Masters of Fine Arts program in theater, decided I wanted to eat after I graduated, and so went back to Valparaiso and got a poli-sci degree because I was going to do law school, but I didn't actually do the law school part. Did you enjoy Arizona? Um, I like seasons, so I missed that. But I did get to um, intern in John McCain's office, and I answered his phones 20 hours a week during his first term. So that was quite an experience for a 19-year-old. Did you get to interact? I mean, you know, people always say, well, did you get to talk to him much? I mean, I'm sure you talked to him, but how did he treat? We did a podcast. uh, Actually, it was with the former governor, uh, Mitch Daniels, and he talked about how Luger, Senator Richard Luger, treated his interns very professionally, very personable, really interested in what they were doing, mm-hmm. asked real questions. Did you have the same experience or do you have a different experience? It was really similar. We didn't see him that often, but whenever he was in the office, 
he would gather whatever staff was in and he'd speak to us all about what was going on in D.C. and ask us, you know, what was going on there. He was very interested in, um, you know, his home state and what was happening. And he was incredibly kind to all of us. Did he enjoy the fact or poke fun at the fact that your family had so many Navy men? I don't know if he knew. I don't know. There's Again, a, it's been a while. I can't remember if I talked to him about that or not. There was a famous story when he was um, had been captured in the cell next to him. There was a guy uh, in the Marine Corps, and they he yelled through the window or the or the cell and said, "You know, who are you?" And he said his name, and he goes, "He went to Naval Academy." and And uh, the Marine says, "Well, why didn't you join the Marines instead of the Navy?" And McCain's reply was, "Because I know who my father is." <laughs> which is kind of typical of the military and yeah. how they stab each other. Of course, McCain's yeah. father and grandfather were both four-star admirals. Yeah. Uh, was he an influence in the sense that you saw how he did things and, and saw how he ran his office? Or was it more of a situation where this is just an internship because I'm here to do other things? You know, that's a that's a great question. I do believe he absolutely was an influence. Not that I left there thinking, oh, I'm going to run for office someday. But I did leave very impacted by how important it was that he was responsive to his constituents. Because, like I said, I answered the phones. And I'd get everything from a local issue to an international issue. And it was just so impressed by the breadth and depth of what people asked him for help for and that his office really was there to serve and to respond. And so I, I absolutely loved seeing that and understood the importance of um, a public servant being exactly that, a public servant. Did you get to see him later on after you had been elected or after you'd gotten involved in politics? I know he was here in 2008 when he ran for president. And the reason I know that is because I met him and he wore my John McCain POW bracelet for the entire day. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I'm, he was here for a fundraiser that Al Kite was throwing uh -huh. for him at the Conrad. And I just finished working for the mayor's transition team, was in the private sector. But Ballard says, hey, come to this. I did. I met him. I was wearing it. And I asked his wife, Cindy McCain, mm -hmm. will he wear this just for a second? And she says, I'm sure he will. And he was talking to Murray Clark, mm -hmm. and uh, who was chairman of the state Republican Party at the time. And, his, and uh, McCain's wife, Cindy, smacked him on the arm and goes, John, look at this kid here. He's got something for you. And he turned and looked because he wasn't very tall. Mm -hmm. And he says, yes, sir. And I said, would you just wear this for me for a second? And uh, he wore it all day to the, to the point where I had to get someone to get it back from him oh. hours later. <laughs> And when I did, he put his arm, you know, he couldn't raise his arms up yeah. very high, but he put yeah. his arms on my elbow and goes, thank you for honoring me in this way. Oh, and I said, awesome. no, sir, thank you for honoring us in your way. And he was very, very kind. Yeah, I did see him in 2016 when he was here. Um, and I got to meet him at uh, an event for Senator Young, Todd Young, who was on the ballot. And I told him that I lay my start in politics at, at his feet. And he's like, well, I knew I had some mayors in Arizona. He said, I didn't know I had any state treasurers <laughs> <laughs> in Indiana. Yeah, exactly. Did yeah. it, did it, did his personal, without getting into the insanity of modern politics to any degree, because for some reason McCain became a lightning rod, maybe perhaps a little bit of his own doing because he kind of enjoyed it. But 
maybe in some ways it's horribly unfair. But did you look at him and go, that's that's my idea of someone who speaks with conviction and courage, and that's what I want to do? Yeah, I think, like you said, when you see him and you realize he can't raise his arms because of what he went through. When he walked into the office in Phoenix, he had the coat just pretty much draped across his shoulders. Like he didn't have his arms through the sleeves. And you could just tell uh, that he probably was in pain every single day and that he still insisted and persisted on serving his country um, with all that he had. It was just so impressive. One of the, not that this podcast is necessarily an act of, political nerditry, but it does intrude itself very often. The most effective response to a political charge came from John McCain. In 1982, he's running in the Republican primary for Congress. He's not in the Senate yet. And he traveled everywhere because of his military background, his family's military background. And one of his opponents called him basically a carpetbagger. Like, who are you to come to Arizona and run for Congress? And the moderator says, you know, Mr. McCain, would you like to respond? And John McCain said, you know, my opponent's correct. You know, this isn't necessarily what I would say is I've moved around a lot, you know, because of being in the military and my father being in the military. And I guess if I had to say that the place I've lived longest in my life is Hanoi. Well, yeah. And the entire room just died mm-hmm. and he won in a walk. Yeah. That's the perils of not necessarily doing your homework. Yeah. But you came here and you came back. I did. Yes. And you got your degree in political science. I did. And did that mark you out as someone who wanted to do public service or did that come a little more gradually? That was definitely later. Um, after I graduated, I got married and moved to Logansport. And I was 28 and had a not-quite-two-year-old and a not-quite-five-year-old and uh, was just helping out in the local theater. And one of the um, friends I made there happened to be someone who was involved in local politics. And he knew my background, and he said, hey, we you know, have a spot, an opening on the ticket for county commissioner. Why don't you consider running? And, and I had no idea what county commissioner did. I was busy chasing toddlers all day. <laughs> but I... Um, I got you know some research on it and studied it, and I thought, you know what? This does sound like a really interesting job. I think I can do it. And I didn't realize that um, nobody had filled the spot, and so I had to be caucused in. I couldn't be on the primary ballot because no one thought the incumbent could be beat. And so I hadn't lived in the community two years yet. I didn't know any of this history, and when you don't know what you don't know, it's amazing what you can get done. <laughs> Um, and so I, so I ran and I won and I served two terms as County Commissioner in Cass County. I was going to say, to test my own knowledge of mm-hmm. geography, that's Cass County, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to gloss over something you mentioned a few times uh, in the last few minutes. The theater. Yes. Talk about your being drawn to that, your love of that, and why you wanted to get involved. You know, I always say it's a good thing that... God made it so I don't know how to sing and don't know how to dance or else I'd be a starving artist on Broadway because I absolutely love the theater. But when you're limited to, say, Shakespeare, um, the, the 
you know, opportunities are, are less, <laughs> they're fewer, but I have had just a lot of time or a lot of enjoyment of theater. I started in high school, my senior year when I got a car and I could do after school activities, I tried out for the miracle worker, which is a play about Helen Keller. Sure. And I played Helen Keller, which is really interesting because there's, there's not words, but there's a whole lot of action <laughs> <laughs> that takes place. Uh, and so I just, uh, it was just a great way to be involved in uh, Logan Sport community and get to know people when I moved there. And it's just always been a joy. I enjoy watching it and I enjoy doing it. I haven't done it in years, but. Did you, do you have a favorite Shakespeare play or a favorite play in general? Um, the favorite one I did was probably The Taming of the Shrew when I was the shrew. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> I guess people don't say that very often. <laughs> Are you able, do you enjoy going to the IRT or anything here? I do. Um, in fact, my son and I have a longstanding tradition since we moved here. We see a Christmas carol every year uh, without fail. And it always makes the years feel like they go really fast because we're like, how are we back here again so soon? But we know the characters and the actors now so well and every little change we we have to like critique and decide if it was a good move or not. There were but some we changes last year yeah. or previous year. Yeah. Yeah. But we really enjoyed it. Well, we're big fans of Janet Allen. Yeah. Uh, here at the Leaders and Legends podcast. She's the maestro over at the Indiana Repertory Theater. Mm -hmm. They also have really really good mystery plays and they usually end oh. the season with a good mystery play they've done last last year they did uh, Holmes and Watson it was absolutely yes. terrific and in previous years they've done really good mystery plays I'm a plays. huge Sherlock Holmes fan so yeah that was fun which particular Sherlock Holmes do you like which oh. actor which iteration oh goodness I, I actually like the books the stories more um, even than the um then the acting of it there's and there's one old school version of it i like and i can't think of the name of the actor basil rathbone um i don't think so i think it was after that one but before the most recent and now i'm gonna have to go home and look it up because it's been a while since i've seen it but it was run as a series jeremy brett that's it yes we're gigantic sherlock holmes okay. fans here at yes, the leaders and legends jeremy. podcast yes and if you go to london go to the sherlock holmes pub okay which is uh, right on the thames mm -hmm. and there's also the sherlock holmes museum mm -hmm. which is right next to the Beatles store okay how have i been to london and not known this they're absolutely both of them are Missing absolutely out. amazing and yeah. the black and white uh, basil rathbone my kids and i have probably what there's 14 movies and okay. i think we've probably watched each one 10 12 times yeah. they're absolutely brilliant they are they're wonderful there's actually another really famous sherlock Holmes fan who's pretty tall. Anybody know who I'm talking about? He was just in the paper about it not that long ago. Very tall. He's a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Huge. Uh, and uh, there's a um, plaque at Union Station, the actual train station. Mm -hmm. Arthur Conan Doyle was here. Oh, that's awesome. In Indianapolis. So next time you're there for an event. I am going to go look this up. Yeah. And that's a great segue to our sponsors, <laughs> one of whom is the Crown Plaza and Union Station at the Historic Union Station and Conference Center, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. They talk a lot about local government 
and its closeness to the people and how it can solve problems in a way that bigger units of government can't. What was it like to be a county commissioner and seeing every day the people who are expecting you to address their concerns, fix problems, improve their quality of life? I did learn to add more time to any grocery store run. I knew I wasn't going to get in and get out. (laughs) Uh, But that was really wonderful. I mean, to be able to help things change, make things happen um, for people that were your neighbors or in your community, it was was such a hands-on way to be involved in Cass County. I was on 14 boards when I left. I had to... um, like nonprofit and organization. It was boards, a mix. Or? A lot of them were as county commissioner. You know, you're on the Economic Development Foundation, or, um, or just the the drainage board. I know that sounds exciting, but it really is very important for farmers uh, and the rural uh, community. It's actually critically important. Uh, so getting to do that, and then I uh, co-founded Cass County Make a Difference Day, and we did like one day a year where we did twenty twenty four projects across the county whether it was winterizing homes for seniors or getting coats for kids or one year we vaccinated dogs. I mean, we had the best time coming up with projects all across the county uh, to make a difference. It was great. Are there any other county commissioners? Well, that, I guess the answer that's obviously yes, but do you find yourself bonding with former county commissioners who are currently in the state house as senators or reps or anything? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, we speak each other's language. We understand that snow days, you know, we're glad we're not getting the 4 a.m. phone calls of, are you going to close the road or, you know, are you going to make me drive to work? Or, uh, yeah, it's just those similar experiences. Um, And understanding, very much understanding um, firsthand what decisions at the state level mean to people at the local level. So, you know, we'd be on the receiving end of maybe unfunded mandates or, you know, unintended consequences by some action that happened at the state level. And bringing that local government knowledge and experience to the state house has just been incredible. Because it's, it's a un- – Marion County has county commissioners. Yes, but they also have a county executive who is the mayor. And so I never heard that there were county commissioners until I started working in the state house for state auditor Connie Noss. Because in Marion County, I mean, it's the treasurer, the auditor, and... I think the assessor. I think the assessor, mm-hmm. I think that's right. But their role is so completely different. It you is. have to be in one of these maybe outside rural counties, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, to understand how critically important these jobs are Mm -hmm. and how fraught these elections can be Mm -hmm. for county commissioners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. State treasurer. Talk about to the leaders and legends audience, how you got involved in the race, how you got to be in this position and how much different or how much of an eye opener it was for you to all of a sudden be sitting in that very beautiful office in the state house. It is a beautiful office, and the it history there office. just, I, I, there's not a day I don't walk in the state house and look up and just think what a privilege it is to work there. It's just so lovely. Um, well, I was working in the treasurer's office, um, so I moved from Logansport to Indianapolis um, 15 years ago and um, thought I was done with politics and went to work for an engineering firm, uh, still doing business development, traveling around, talking to county commissioners all around the state. 
And uh, that was a wonderful job. But the previous state treasurer reached out to me uh, and asked if I would be willing to come on board and begin a statewide local government investment pool. And uh, so I came on board with the state treasurer's office in 2007. And we opened our pool uh, February 1st of 2008, which is a great year by the way, to open a money fund. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, no, it, it went just fine. It really did. And, and we've, um, it's continued to grow. We're at, uh, it's called Trust Indiana. We're at one and a half billion dollars in it right now. And so uh, really proud of that uh, tool for local governments to use. So I spent six years traveling the state, working with local governments, um, this time through Trust Indiana. And of course, the treasurer's office is a constitutional office. So it's term limited. You can only serve two terms. So we were getting toward the end of my predecessor's term, and I started wondering what I wanted to do next, and then I started wondering who was going to be state treasurer, and then I finally figured out, wait a minute, I know this office, I love this office, and I understand the impact it has on Indiana, so I'm going to run. And uh, there were a couple people who said, yes, go for it, and a great many more who said, what, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, Indiana is not a big state unless you're traveling it as a statewide candidate for office or as a statewide anything, but yes. especially as a statewide candidate for office. That trip from Maryville to New Albany and from yes. Evansville to Fort Wayne shouldn't uh-huh. be underestimated. No, it really shouldn't. It's It was a lot of miles, but it was just an amazing experience. You know, when I started out, it really was the underdog Um but I looked at it as it was going to be a win either way. I, I was going to learn more about my state. I was going to meet a whole lot more people. I was going to face something I was afraid of every day, you know, getting up and speaking to a bunch of people you don't know all the time. Uh, it was just such a wonderful experience to do it. Um, and, of course, I love how it turned out. In 2014, that's the year we're talking about. Yes. That's the year you first ran. was a really good year for Republicans nationwide, a very good year for Republicans in Indiana. Did you know that sort of wave? Did you get a sense of, wow, this is going to be a great year for us, so I could, should win, don't mess it up? Or was it more of a situation where you thought, if I am if I can get through the convention and get the nomination, then I'm just going to work twice as hard? You know, that's an interesting question. I really work to take nothing for granted. It doesn't matter what I'm running for, if I'm the incumbent or not, I'll run like I'm 10 points behind because I think I've seen too much. You know, I've seen too many people take things for granted. And, um, and I think it's really important to work like you want it. And so it, it was a really difficult battle through the convention, but we had a strategy and, uh, and it worked. And then in the fall, I worked, I mean, I worked just as hard at least to get through the fall. I asked someone, I won't mention his name. He actually grew up not far from here and we're at the McGinley's Golden Ace and he went to IPS 78, graduated from Ohio High School and eventually became a a very, very successful um, entrepreneur. And uh, he grew up clearly in adverse circumstances, if not circumstances of want, but probably pretty close, and became wildly successful and very well known. I asked him one time, does your upbringing ever leave you? Does the condition of how you lived 
as in your formative years ever stop influencing you? And he looked at me and said, absolutely not. And if it ever did, I wouldn't be as successful as I am today. Is that something that you feel about, that, that you feel that I've been through the tough times, I know they can come back, or I know if I don't work hard that all this could go away, and you have that doubt of your upbringing. Does that help fuel you to not only be a terrific public servant, but to run a great office and, and serve with honor? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, I hope it never leaves me. Um, among other things, it taught me gratitude, you know, for the things that we did have. Uh, I didn't realize we were poor till junior high. You know, we had so many books. We had my mother's imagination. Uh, she just worked to celebrate life all the time. And um, and then I worked um, in high school. I had three jobs, and I earned my own money. I paid my doctor bills and my books and, and I, I wouldn't trade any of that. It's made me a hard worker. It's, um, I think helps keep me humble. Um, it's just formed who I am. You said you didn't realize your rapport. What made you realize that? Um, when your lunch ticket's a different color than other kids, sometimes you, uh, you know, you notice that. And, um, um, we didn't always have, those um, lunches uh, when my mom could she made them for us but if she couldn't we had lunch tickets um, and I think clothes literally I would wear the same thing two or three times a week because that's what we had uh, so as soon as I could start working and earning money I did and uh, I still got I still remember this really bright pink sparkly top that I bought with my money I'm still real proud of it. I hope there's not pictures but I was really proud of that at the time because because I did that I got to to earn the money for that and I thought it was pretty cool and we're relatively the same yes generation yeah. I won't say same age you understand same generation the 80s weren't kind to anybody fashion wise <laughs> <laughs> they were no they weren't <laughs> Do you remember the first time you saw MTV or saw cable and went, what in the world is this? Because no. MTV really yeah. unites the 80s, yeah. right? No matter what year you, yeah. you grew up in the 80s, that was kind of the defined, that was the gathering. It was the Facebook of the 80s yeah. because you'd go home and turn on MTV or do your homework, or whatever. Yeah. But do you remember seeing that the first time and like, what what what, what am I missing? Um, I'm, I do remember seeing it. So I must have been at a friend's house. Um I just thought it was cool. I mean, it's MTV, you know, I thought it was pretty awesome, but I didn't really think about it at home. It, it just, we just never really missed television. When you go into schools or you go into places in your role as treasurer of state, or you, you go to the, some of the challenged neighborhoods, or perhaps uh, you mentioned it earlier, rural counties that have been affected by floods or tornadoes. What extra do you bring in terms of understanding when you look a farmer in the eye who just doesn't know about their crops because of flooding in April or May of any year? What extra do you bring to that conversation? And you get the sense that they know it and appreciate it. That's interesting. I don't get to do a lot of that. Um, but I do think when I talk to anyone who has been through tough circumstances I think we can recognize in each other the strength that was gained by overcoming obstacles. You know, what it has taught us. You know, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Uh, and 
I, for one, value those experiences I had. I mean, I still think my childhood was wonderful, despite all the um, hardships. Uh, I had a mother who was absolutely devoted to making sure that her kids were um, successful, but not necessarily in a monetary way, but that we were contributing human beings and we did something good for the community and the planet. And, and that really helped steer me. And I think, you know, your example of farmers, I mean, that's what they do. They, you know, feed us. And then when their livelihood is uncertain because of things they can't control, I mean, they, every year they overcome things with such strength and fortitude. And I just have a tremendous respect for that. You mentioned, and forgive me for asking, uh, witnessing becoming contributing members of society. Is your mother still with us, or did she yes. get to see you? So she has seen you Yes. pull up and star five? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, she is, she's super proud. But I will say, um, even though I was the first one in my family to graduate college, um, my sister is a registered nurse. Uh, my brother is a colonel. Uh, in the Army Reserves, and he has two master's degrees. Um, I have two master's degrees, and my mother went back to college as well. Of course, she did it with a 4.0 just to show us all how it's supposed to be done. So tell me about Mother's Day when you get together, when you can get together. Well, um, last year, I think it was last year, last year I uh, surprised her. She just thought she was going to my sister's because they're still up in northern Illinois. And uh, when she walked in, I was sitting there because it's about a four and a half hour drive. And so that was just super special to do that for her. Um, I like to do that when I can surprise her on her birthday or her Mother's Day. There's just not anything I can give her or say to tell her how much she has just meant to me in my life. I tell her all the time. She's like, oh, stop talking about me to people. Just stop it. <laughs> well, make sure she gets a copy of this Leaders and Legends podcast. <laughs> okay, I will. Um, my mother was in the Marine Corps. Oh, wow. That was a special time. Yeah. My father was in the Marine Corps, so mm -hmm. it, was a, uh, it was a very cheery household, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> you mentioned your brother's service. Yes. You have a very, very unique experience. And even though I was in the military, I never had a chance to have anything like this. I'm extraordinarily jealous, so make me even more jealous. Tell me what I am describing. The U.S. Army War College, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, my brother um, went through the U.S. Army War College and it's a two year program distance education. Um, so he's out in Washington state and he flew to Carlisle, Pennsylvania, two weeks each summer for two years. The last week of the last two weeks is called the Commandant's National Security Program and the public is invited to apply and attend. So he told me about it because I'd just been fascinated with what he was doing. And um, I applied. I got in. And I spent a week on base with him um, and then got to watch him graduate. But by the end of that week, I was just so impressed, so impressed by this program that I followed the director around saying, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it, was, it was very unusual um, uh, for a civilian holding my position to be admitted to the War College. But um, he went to bat for me. And I got accepted. And so when I had to get up at 4 a.m. to write papers, I reminded myself that not only did I ask for this, I begged for this. Uh, but it was just amazing education. Uh, just amazing. I would I would do it again uh, just because I feel like I couldn't even absorb everything that they wanted to teach us. What sort of papers did you have to write? Oh, my goodness. So many. Um, one, pretty much one per 
class and the classes were six to 11 weeks long and it was nonstop for two years in a row. So a whole lot of papers. What did you learn? What's your takeaway? If I wanted to apply for this, Mm -hmm. you would say, okay, Robert, you have to do a bunch of work and it's really prestigious, but this is what you're going to come out of it. Because I remember my recruiter when I joined the military, mm-hmm. he didn't really talk about a lot about getting up at three in the morning and getting screamed at and basic yeah. training or anything yeah. like he kind of glossed over that. What he did say was, and I remember this like it was yesterday. And I, I went in in January of 87, mm-hmm. graduated from how high school in 86 went in January of 87. And he said, the one thing that you will take from this is that for the rest of your life, when they ask veterans to stand. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. He said, you'll get to stand. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I love that. The most important thing I took out of it was what they started with, which was teaching us critical thinking. They spent a lot of time talking about heuristic thinking or just automatic thinking. Um, but critical thinking and problem solving Um, bringing all the stakeholders to the table, understanding the ramifications. If you make this decision, this is going to happen. If you don't do it, this might happen. Uh, But just really in-depth approach to the processes of critical thinking and strategic leadership. Because through, you know, their lens, they want to make sure these are their future leaders, current and future leaders that are in the war college. And they want to make sure they're absolutely equipped to make the best decision possible under the most stressful situations possible. And so to sit through that and learn that was just amazing because they took that critical thinking and strategic leadership, those concepts through every single course after whether we were studying, you know, what happened at World War II or Iraq or, um, you know, they had us look at it through those lenses and, um, and, and learn from that. And then the very last class I took, it was an elective. You got to pick what you wanted. And so I chose negotiations. And they used the Harvard Law School's curriculum on negotiations. And what I loved was um, if you really want to win your negotiations, maybe I shouldn't say this. I should keep this secret. No. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you really want to win, win, write the other guy's victory speech. In other words, know exactly why they're there, what they want, what they would consider a win walking out. And then you've got your outline to figure out what it is you need to do to get what you want. Did it give you and your brother a whole new subject to talk about? He would not help me with my homework. He, he would not. No, he really wasn't allowed to. So, okay, that's different. I know. Not allowed but to. But there's so many acronyms. I would call him and say, okay, just what is this acronym? Because there are just dozens, if not hundreds, of acronyms. That's certainly the military. true. Uh, 2018 comes around and you win re-election yes. as state treasurer. Was it a tough decision to run again? As you mentioned earlier, it's a constitutional office. It is term limited, but but you enjoyed it enough to try to do it again because these statewide offices, um, these races are tough. I mean, Indiana is a more Republican than Democrat state, but you never know. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of travel and a lot of work and you still have to do your job and you know have some semblance mm-hmm. of a personal life. What made you decide to run for a second term? You know, it wasn't automatic because I love what I did, but I wanted to make sure I brought the same heart to it that I brought four years before. But it wasn't a hard decision. It it really is just a job I have loved and enjoyed so much um, that 
it would have been hard to talk me out of it, out of doing it. Um, there was really no semblance of a personal life because I was finishing my Army War College degree in 2018, <laughs> as well as running statewide and running the office. And and in the office, I'm on 15 different boards. I chair four of those, and there's just a whole lot that, that happens, but I, I love it. This is the cue to shout out to Larry. <laughs> yes, Larry, yes. My, my wonderful husband, we celebrated 15 years yesterday. Congratulations. Uh, thank Congratulations. you. He's a very patient man. <laughs> you are one of several female statewide elected officials. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans have done, a, if I may say, either because of the Luger series or intrinsically or organically, a terrific job of, of promoting women uh, specifically for these offices, these very important offices. What's it like to have a sense of comradeship with Connie Lawson and Tara Klutz and Sue Elsperman and Suzanne Crouch? Uh, the list goes on and on. Where you actually get to, together and talk about the shared experiences and, and what's important to you, shared uh, priorities? Absolutely. It is such a privilege to have campaigned with these amazing women and to work in the state house with them. I know I can pick up the phone and call any of them anytime and they're going to answer and they're going to give me sound advice. Um, you know, we just, we spent a lot of time together on the campaign trail. And um, for instance, Tara Klutz and I are on a couple of boards together. So we get to work together on projects as well, as well as of course the auditor and treasurer's office works together on a daily basis. Uh, but it's just, you know, nationwide, statewide, um, Maybe women make up about 24% of statewide office holders. So Indiana really is an outlier in a great way uh, in having so many female statewide elected officials. You give Governor Holcomb a little grief about crashing your party? Absolutely. Anytime I can. (laughs) You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by girl scouts of central indiana the crown plaza and conference center at historic union station and McAllister machinery your friendly neighborhood caterpillar dealer another opportunity has recently presented itself another tough decision but one that you're making wholeheartedly and that is to pursue the open seat in the fifth district Talk to us, please, about that decision, what you think you bring to that race, and make the best case for why I should vote for Kelly Mitchell. And I've got an hour, right? Hour and a half. Okay. All right. Just making sure. Uh, you know, this it was a tough decision. It was, um, however, similar to when I ran for commissioner the first time, when I ran for treasurer the first time. It was something that I could not put down. I tried. <laughs> I tried. I'm like, okay, no, this is this is a lot. Um, but it's one of those things you think you put it down and you walk away and it's back in your hands before you've turned around. You know, it's back in your hands. It's back in your heart. You just can't walk away. And so uh, a lot of discussion, of course, with family and because um, this impacts a lot. And then the staff uh, that I work with um, and decided that, yeah, this is something that I can do. I can make a difference. And, uh, and I want to do it. I really want to serve uh, Indiana's 5th District in this way. And if I had to pick a few top priorities, they would really relate to the conversation we've been having. One of them being national security. You know, uh, the Army War College really instilled in me an incredible um, 
understanding of the amount of issues we face in national security. And it's not just the obvious ones. It's not just our borders. Um, it's cyber. It's space. It's water. It's epidemics. It's things we don't even think about that threaten our national security because maybe they threaten our economy. Uh, you know, maybe they physically threaten us. Um, but it's a huge umbrella of topics, national security is. And I'm just really passionate about digging in and, and finding ways to make our country stronger. Um, the other is, of course, I'm state treasurer of a state that has a AAA credit rating, that has a budget surplus, that has a balanced budget. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're talking, of course, about our country that has a $22 trillion debt and an almost trillion dollar deficit. And I think there can't be enough of Hoosier Common Sense in D.C. at this point uh, with that experience that I bring. Uh, this is a state that does it right. And, and you mentioned a AAA credit rating. Yes. Budget reserves and a yes. balanced budget. Yes. They're all related. Yes. You don't really have all three unless you have all three. It's true. And they all matter so much. One thing, last thing I want to ask you about, which is which is selfish to me as a two-person business, uh, before we get to the five questions with which we end all podcasts, one of the things that I've heard you talk about is how to help small business, how to help mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, the tax code, despite the reform, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that, that was mm-hmm. passed in the last few years, and just the IRS itself is such a looming um, uh, presence over people like me who are just trying to find work and do work. And how would you address, what would you say to me if if you didn't know me and I saw you at an event in New Albany or in Evansville and I said, look, I'm trying to do this business thing. I spend so much money a year on taxes and I spend so much money a year on an accountant to make sure my taxes are correct. What would you do to help lessen that taxation and regulatory burden on my business? I think you've just said it. We have to lessen the taxes and regulatory burden on businesses. I think we need to get out of the way of creativity, of innovation. You know, businesses create jobs. Government doesn't create jobs. And so we can simplify things, especially for small businesses. And we have to because, you know, that's that's the bread and butter of our country. It really is small businesses. When I, I don't do politics on tv and radio much anymore there's other people who want to do that stuff which is which is good for them but the last few times i've been on i've said this and and tell me if i'm right or wrong true or false when people talk about the swamp a there is a swamp and b i would argue that the tax code is the swamp Hmm. i haven't heard that but i don't think i'd argue with you on that one Perfect way to segue into the five questions. We're here with State Treasurer Kelly Mitchell. We end the podcast with the same five questions. Okay. To everyone. You ready? Sure. What was your first job? But for you, we'll say, what was your first three jobs? (laughs) Okay. I was an activities assistant in a nursing home. I uh, was a nanny for my Sunday school teachers, little kids. And I coached gymnastics for five to eight-year-olds for uh, my Sunday school teacher, the one who owned a gym. So, Did you do gymnastics as a 
I part of your theater training? Uh, I did. I'm actually there's a picture on the wall of Valparaiso University of me being a walk on on the team, but I immediately tore a tendon and so I I didn't actually do anything. So between your Belinda Carlisle sweater, <laughs> pink sweater that you mentioned earlier, and the pictures at Valpo, so sparkly, yes. obviously there needs to be some research done. Oh, no, 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 80s, no. What was your first concert? Um, well, I, let me think. Um, who's saying I wear my sunglasses at night? Why is Corey, Corey Hart. Hart? Yeah, that was probably my first one. Or Rick Springfield. It was one of those two. You see him at a county fair or? No, actually, I didn't go to a concert till I went to college. So it was something around here that friends were going to and I hopped in the car. <laughs> if you, Number three, if you could recommend, suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you choose? Lord of the Rings. Okay, so first off, we have to acknowledge that. All of the handsome Kevin Freely, how class of 1977, is here at the Golden Ace monitoring. He's the East Side monitor of the podcast, and he is cheering on all these references. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings, the the trilogy. Of course, yes. Did you like the movies? Not as much as the books, but that's the story of my life. I like the books better. My son is reading the Lord of the Rings right now. I, I think am, the Hobbit. I am too. Oh, you are. I am. I, I read it about twice a year. Yeah. Number four. Epic you, journeys. Really? Mm-hmm. Number four, if you could witness any event in history, be there as it happens, Ooh. which event would you choose? Oh, man, that's a good one. Well, certainly, hopefully, in my lifetime, the uh, swearing-in of the first female Republican president. Okay, so... So then if you take that into something you would want to witness in history, would you choose something involving a specific female official or So wait, did you ask me for past or future? In history. In history. I thought you were talking about future. What will be history? (laughs) Okay, so going back in history, what I would want to witness. Okay. This is, this is one that not everyone's going to know about, but the very first Indiana female state treasurer was Grace Urbans in 1926 when she took over when her husband passed away halfway through his first term. And then she won two more elections in her own right. And this was just five years-ish after women got the right, right to vote. That would be really neat to see. So you'd want to see the swearing in? Yeah, I would like that. Definitely a unique answer. And yeah. we completely get it. <laughs> Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, two hours off the record, whom would you choose? Mm, Condoleezza Rice. Who was just here. I know. I missed it. I've seen her. I've heard her speak before, and she was amazing. She's ridiculously impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I certainly hope she gets her dream job, which is? Maybe, huh? Commissioner of the National Football League. That would be awesome. She has said many times that is her dream job. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your Thank time you. today. Thank you for participating in the Leaders and Legends podcast. And the point of the podcast, there are several, but one of them is to have, and the main one is to have informative, entertaining, and comfortable conversations with people who have or are making a difference. 
And a lot of the people we've had on so far are elected officials, and we're very, very grateful. And in that time, I have mentioned several people as being just as down to earth and as kind and genuine as possible, whether that's Greg Ballard or Eric Holcomb. Kelly Mitchell is at the top of that list as well. You're never going to find anyone who is more kind and more real and more willing to look in the eye and share a quick smile and a smart thought than Kelly Mitchell. And we couldn't be more grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.